And so, yeah, when I was doing the podcast, it started off. So episode one and two and pretty much the first like five to six episodes were all Bitcoin related. And lately it's just been all uh, personal development, spiritual exploration and whatever my intuition feels called to dive into. I love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, man. That's the best part about having your own podcast is you can literally talk about whatever the fuck you want to talk about. Yeah, and, and that's the thing with like <clears throat> naming it. At first I was hesitant to name it um, the Shane Larson podcast because I, I don't know. Sometimes I think having it your name, not sure how I, like it just didn't, at first I wasn't sure if that was the right choice, but then, uh, what up? <laughs> uh, but I thought that I know it's going to evolve. I know that what I want to talk about is going to evolve and I want to be able to fluctuate, you know, fluctuate into different subjects. So I just chose Shane, the Shane Larson podcast and, um, you know, it, it could develop into other, other subjects and, and, uh, as I enter different stages in my life. So, so yeah, yeah. A lot of it's been plant medicines as of late since our retreat. Mm. And, um, <clears throat> so th that's just where my natural curiosity has been and, and where, you know, I'm pretty honed in on right now, but it could, it could definitely range to different things. Um, and so, yeah, very happy to have you on, man. <laughs> Thankfully you were able to join last second. Uh, as we were discussing off the mic, you were my uh, battle mate our first night of <laughs> ayahuasca, uh, our, our first ayah ceremony. And um, you were to my right, and then Will was to our, was to your right, and... Yeah, I was sandwiched between two legends. <laughs> <laughs> we, had the, we had the biggest legend in between. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, that was, that was a one heck of a night, man. That was, uh, out of the three nights in which we took the, took the medicine, that one hit me like a, like a train. Mm. Um, I don't know how, how in comparison to the three nights for you, how it was, but it seemed like the, <clears throat> like the, uh, the current of, of the ceremony really was pretty powerful. And that seems to be the trend with the, the two retreats that I've gone on where the first one seems to really hit you, um, pretty powerfully. Mm. And then the second one can be a little bit more easeful, but it's still, um, you know, it's still pretty, pretty, uh, intense. And, um, yeah, I wanted to have you on. I, I usually just listen to my intuition when it comes to choosing the guests. I don't have like a super cerebral. Oh, why am I going to choose this guest? It's usually based off of my intuition. Mm. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed getting to know you <coughs> during, um, during our time on that ranch. And then, um, yeah. And then, and then on the outside afterwards, just peering into what you've been doing. And so, uh, yeah, this episode won't release probably for another couple of weeks, but at the time 
during the retreat, you were talking about alluvians mm. and how it's, it has been this passion project or passion, passionate career that fills your soul um, on the side of whatever company. I forgot what company you're working for right now. Uh, I was working at a company called Catalyst. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And as, so, as of until Friday. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big, um, when I was asking you about integration after, and you were saying now you're about to depart from this company. Mm. And when I first met you at the retreat, you were like, this seems, you know, Alluvians is unfolding into something that is going to be full time. And it's, it's going to be my, my dreams work mm. coming to fruition. So really cool to, <laughs> to, to see that play out and, and to also, um, you know, being in that, uh, that group, uh, for that one week in the beginning of October, a lot of people relate how, how powerful and how loving, at least for me and a few others that I spoke with, it resonated with a just high frequency mm -hmm. of laughter and respect and vulnerable conversations. And, um, it was an honor to, to be surrounded by individuals, men that are doing the work that have a balance of character that I, I personally admire. Um, and you are definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just, I wanted to get you, get you on just to talk about your experience that week, but also just talk about your journey, <clears throat> you know, in life. Um, and how Alluvians came to be and, you know, the vision for Alluvians and whatever else you want to yeah. discuss, man. Yeah. You know, it's funny because that was, you know, I've, I've participated in plant medicine a few times now and each time <clears throat> it just feels like whenever I'm feeling, I, I get the call to go and do it. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily like all right, every six months or every 12 months or, you know, two years, whatever it might be. It's like, usually there's a higher thing that says, Hey, there's an opportunity to come in, you know, go deep. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> while there's a lot of value to participating in plant medicine, you know, it, it can be abused because it is, while the journey is very hard and you go to the depths of yourself and see parts of yourself that maybe you, you don't want to see or you didn't know was in there. Um, it's easy because you just drink it <laughs> and then you're in it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay, let me just drink this and like I'm going to go in and do the deep work. But if you just do that and then aren't actually doing the work, I'll call it sober. Yeah. You know, you're, you're not having reverence for it. And so you know, for me, my path of doing the work on myself, whether it be through meditation, breath work, you know, journaling, you name it, there's so many different types of modalities that has been my journey since, you know, really 2017, I would say. And it really came from a, a point of, man, I was at the bottom and I was really struggling deeply and not knowing where else or what else to do. And it was in 2017, I was living in San Francisco. I was, uh, so I've been in tech 
uh, sales for 13, 14 years, somewhere along those lines. I was working at Microsoft and on the surface, you know, I was doing extremely well. I was crushing quota. I was number one on my team. I was making more money year over year than I had ever made in my entire life. I had gotten promoted. Uh, and if, you know, somebody had looked at me from the outside, they'd be like, Alex, you're crushing it. You're doing so good. Right. And I tried to put on this face and the smile, like, yeah, I'm doing great. Everything's so great. But on the inside, I felt this deep internal pain that I really didn't know what was there. And, you know, I used to try to tell people when they'd be like, Hey Alex, how are you doing? I used to say, I'm always awesome. <laughs> and my dad taught me that from a very young age mm. and I have a great relationship with my father. And he said, Alex, you know, when everybody asks how you're doing, you always say you're always awesome because first off, it's going to make them feel better, right? If you say you're doing awesome, like you just come from a, a higher vibration with that. But what it's also going to do, you're going to hear those words. It's going to go in your ear and you're going to brainwash yourself into thinking you're doing awesome. And while there's a positive purpose of that to a point, if you actually are not feeling awesome, if you're feeling insecure, if you're feeling depressed, if you're whatever it might be, and you're pushing those parts of you down, they start to, mm, they just start to ferment, I would say. And they start to kind of bubble up into different types of ways or you get triggered or they get catalyzed or, you know, you just get, you succumb to whatever it might be. And it was in 2017 when I was on paper doing the best I ever done when I hit rock bottom. Mm. <clears throat> where it's like, it's what you would imagine for someone who's in a deep state of depression. It's like, I pulled the shades over my window so no light could get in. You look at my floor, there's like trash everywhere mm. and I could hardly get out of bed. Mm. And I used to, at the Microsoft office, whisper under my breath. Like I literally used to do this. I used to say to myself, like, man, what if people knew that I hated my life? What if people knew I hated my life? So on the outside, I'm putting on this front that, hey, I'm awesome. But on the inside, I'm really feeling just at a deep pain. Mm. And that caused the point where I was done, hurting, bad. And <clears throat> uh, I ended up getting, uh, first off, my sister who uh, is, has dealt with her own mental health and, and who's been such a powerful teacher for me. She first off had me read the book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior which was my first journey into meditation. And I ended up getting this LinkedIn message from somebody saying, hey, I'm curious, as a high performer, do you feel like you are reaching the full potential of who you really are? And, you know, we all get a lot of LinkedIn messages or whatever might be with stuff, but that just kind of hit me right in between the eyes. And I ended up taking the call and uh, he ended up, you know, having me, uh, you know, share just some stuff I was going through. And, and I ended up going to my very first retreat. Mm. And it was at that retreat that I finally learned or at least got my first taste of the inner game of actually going in and feeling my emotions and um, breathing into the parts of me that didn't feel so good. And I remember I was at, <clears throat> I think it was my second retreat and I was really struggling still. And I went up to one of the main guys uh, who was, you know, he looked like, a guru shaman type of guy with like the man bun ponytail, big mustache and everything. And I was like, Hey, his name was Michael. I was like, Michael, I'm still struggling like with this thing. I don't know what the fuck it is. He's like, Alex, let me ask you this. He's like, where 
in your body do you feel it? I was like, hmm, where in my body do I feel it? I guess you could say I feel it in my chest, in my heart area. Mm. He's like, okay, cool. He's like, so for the rest of the treat, what I want you to do is I want you to simply focus <clears throat> on breathing in through your heart, through your chest, and out through it. Just the intention. Every single moment here, whether you're uh, talking to someone, whether you're listening to someone, whether you're eating, whatever, I breathe in through the heart and out through your heart. And it was like a seven-day retreat, and I did. I really brought like a, an intention to it and something happened over that week where all of a sudden I felt my body loosen. I felt myself become so much more present and <clears throat> this thing that had hardened within me that I didn't want to let out because I was afraid of what other people would think or see and the image of me all of a sudden it, it started to just kind of like, you know, integrate and just like kind of move and I felt so incredible that at the very end of the retreat, they said, hey, does anybody feel called to make any commitments, any, any shares? And I just felt the, the ping. And so I got up in front of 50 people and I said, you know, I'm, you know, this has been a really powerful week for me. So I commit to meditating for 365 days in a row. Mm. And there's something really powerful that happens when you make a commitment in front of a large group of people. And um, so I did it. Or 365 days in a row. And I'll tell you, it was not easy. I downloaded Headspace and there was days where I meditated for five minutes, days where I meditated for 30 minutes. There were days that I was going to sleep and I'd all of a sudden like open my eyes and be like, oh shit, I haven't meditated yet today. <laughs> and I'd simply turn on the timer for 30 seconds and just focus on my breath. But yeah. you know, it was the commitment to do it. Yeah. And that year started me on this journey of just doing personal work and and doing the, the deep dive development. And <clears throat> you know, since then I've, you know, uh, this doesn't need to be everybody's path, but I've probably attended now over a hundred retreats. Mm. I've been doing the work and, um, you know, being in tech through so many different communities and retreats, I always felt like there was never a community that was specifically focused on tech sales professionals who wanted to get better at the craft of sales while also complementing that with the inner game. Mm. Because my belief is that the sales talk track, the tactic, the strategy, it's definitely important but if there's not that underlying foundation that's built upon mental health, emotional health, even spiritual health, like I don't care how good your script sounds, it's going to fall flat if you're not coming from the right spot. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that was really what started uh, the birth of Alluvians. And, and actually I, I got the download one time of just the word Alluvians. Mm. I was at uh, breakfast with one of my friends, her name is Danny. And uh, she looked at a mug and she's like, you know, that mug had like, it's like a teal mug with like, like a light brown coffee in it. She's like, it's very copesthetic. I was like, what the hell does copesthetic mean? I was like, it's a great word, but what does it mean? And I looked it up and it means harmonious. And I was like, you know, whoever came up with the word copesthetic, like, I want to come up with a word. Alluvians. <laughs> and I just got the download and she's like, wow, that's a great word. What does it mean? I was like, hmm, it means to be in the state of flow as you are learning and growing and developing. And from that point forward, it, before it was even a company, like I went back to my team that I was, you know, leading at a company called Outreach. And I was like, hey guys, I came up with a word. It means alluvians uh, or it's alluvians. And we're going to talk about being in a state of flow as we're getting better. 
Mm. And it just became like a rallying cry. And initially people were like, okay, this fucking guy, Alex is just coming up with words. <laughs> He's so weird. But I, like it, people started getting onto him. People will like get off a call and be like, man, I felt so alluvian <laughs> on that call. And it just became a thing. And like the entire company, you know, even though they were making fun of us, like we ended up being the number one team two years in a row. And it just became a part of who we were. And, you know, eventually I was like, you know, I, I've been feeling the call to start my own community, you know, for doing this type of work. And, mm. um, the rest has unfolded in this past year. Uh, we've thrown through, uh, four retreats, you know, helps, you know, over a hundred to 150 sales professionals and sales leaders, founders, you know, really get better at the craft, but really start to do the inner work and gain clarity on your vision, gain clarity on, you know, the parts of us that don't feel good, the imposter syndrome, the self-doubt, the insecurity, all that sort of stuff. And just be in great community with other people who are choosing to do the work. And so mm. it's been, it's been powerful, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. A lot of trends, a lot of threads that pop up for me. <clears throat> the trends that I'm seeing amongst the guests that I have and also the people in my life is this feeling of a lack of community, a lack of a presence of, of true friendships that don't feel, uh, you know, surface level. And, you know, even though I, I have my buddy, Zach Horvath on, he's been traveling, he's, uh, the founder of Liberate story and he, uh, he started traveling to different countries for nine months, starting in the beginning of this year. And he said, Every single country that he went to, he had to um, acclimate and, and kind of, uh, you know, um, he, he experienced culture shock in a way. And then when he came back to the United States, there was this culture shock. And what he told me was that, you know, we have, it, we have an abundance here in America. And he recognized that even more uh, clearly when he came back. And the one thing that he noticed was that all the countries that he was in, the sense of community, the sense of, of, um, communication and constant support in all those countries because they, they were lesser developed. Um, they were, you know, kind of more in their face, like in India, there's, there's a lot of families that are together and they're always, you know, in your face in, in a way. And I, I think I remember Naval Ravikant saying it's impossible to be depressed when you're living in, in India cause you're always around your, your family. Mm. And, uh, but he said that when he came back, there was just a lot of people that, you know, it, it, he could much more clearly see the uh, separation of, of individuality within mm -hmm. the United States, which to a degree is great that we have the freedom to be able to express our own uniqueness. But there does seem to be a lack of um, community. And at least from my observations, I, I definitely felt that. And then when I moved to Austin, it's been you know, we just had our friend Michelle in here and life, life is a dream. It's been, <laughs> it's been pretty uh, abundant to have this, this community. And so, yeah, when I was looking at your profile on Instagram, I, I noticed you were saying how you had, a, you, you felt like a lack of community and a lack of, um, fulfilling friendships. <laughs> and I felt that too. Um, mm. as I was in college and out of college and to be honest, on paper, I wasn't looking good. You know, like I didn't know what I wanted to do for a major. I picked a major because of 
it somewhat felt intuitively right for me, but also I, I just kind of looked at my peer group and I was like, what should I do here? Mm. And I didn't put a lot of great thought into it. I knew it was like, oh, maybe I'll get into business and then and work from there. And so, um, yeah, I just, uh, I had a, a big like college for me that, that phase was, there was a lot of fun times, but there was a lot of dark times too. And, and just utilizing different, like different forms of numbing. So drinking weed or whatever it may be to, to really suppress whatever needed to come out. And I didn't have a form of, uh, or a channel to express those emotions. And if I, you know, if I tried, you know, certain men or, or boys when you're growing up can be pretty brutal, you know, when you're trying to be vulnerable. So, mm. um, yeah, you know, I, uh, I want to dig more into, um, before we get more into like alluvians, dig more into like what you were, when you started the retreats, you've done a, over a hundred, what, was the beginning, um, inner work that you were focused on. So like what, aside from like opening up your heart mm. and like, that's something that's new for me too, is I've, I've like physically felt my heart seems to be more expanded mm -hmm. since the, the past two, uh, plant medicine retreats that I've been on this year. And, um, so I, I understand this hardening of your heart to, to play the role of always being awesome. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how you were able to integrate that after that retreat. And then like what, what else you've worked on as a man mm -hmm. in society? Cause I, I think a lot of men nowadays lack that, um, you know, that, that community in the United States and it's definitely accessible. Um, if, if you look out for it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. The first, the first thing I'll say is, you know, COVID, COVID, hurt us quite a bit. Yeah. Especially because, you know, pre COVID we were all in an office and, you know, you could look to your right, to your left and there's people who could support you and who had your back. And if you were struggling, be like, Hey, let's go get a coffee, you know, let's go get a bite to eat, whatever it might be. And they would be able to be like, yeah, you got it. And that like the water cooler talk mm -hmm. was there. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, COVID hit and everybody was working from home. And if you were in sales, you were selling a product that you may or may not care about, you know, for many, you're trying to hit a quota that may or may not be attainable and people are feeling burnt out. People are feeling stressed. People are feeling isolated more than ever before. Mm. And, you know, what was it like six months ago, they talked about how we're in this loneliness epidemic, which is, you know, comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And I feel that big time and people still feel that hard. And I'll also just, you know, share, even though I've been in the work for, you know, seven, eight years, I'm still in the work. Like there's still a massive part of me that wants to make everybody think that I'm doing great. You know, there's still a massive part of me that wants to uh, keep my heart closed because I'm afraid uh, of the vulnerability that can come from that and the judgment that can come from that and the rejection that can come from that. Um, so if I'm about to tell you that I got all the answers, I'd be, I'd be full of shit over here. You definitely <laughs> emanate it. Yeah. Sure, man. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm also doing the inner work as well. And mm -hmm. it's, I feel like it's a never ending mm -hmm. process throughout life. Yeah. I would say, I mean, it, it, it truly is. I mean, um, you know, for me, I think my biggest work that I'm doing right now is, 
and, and that I have really been doing since 2017, <clears throat> depression uh, has been running my family forever. I mean, you know, I have three older sisters. They all, you know, deal with it. My, my mom, my mom, my dad, my dad's side of the family, like, you know, for many, they, they have it. And, you know, for so long I said, I don't have it, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden, like, I've just been like gotten light shown on these parts of me like, Oh no, I definitely deal with this <laughs> shit. Like it, it is in me. It is, you know, certain days I wake up and I just feel that fog. I feel that like just that downward trend. And, you know, there's uh, a lot of judgment that I have towards that part of me. You know, it's like when I wake up and I feel sad, I'm like, gosh, damn it. Like change the damn record. <laughs> you know, like there's a judgment I have towards myself. Yeah. Like, why can't I just feel good? Why can't I just be excited? Why can't I just be happy and feel joy? And those parts of me that actually do feel sad. I mean, I, I view those as like, it's a, like a child that's five years old. And if I'm the parent, you know, I'm 31 years old. If I'm the parent and I say, why are you so sad? Like, get over it. Mm. Like, you don't treat a five-year-old that way. No. You know, a lot of times you can be like, oh, like, come here. Like, tell me what's wrong. Yeah. You know, what, what do you want? Like, what's, what's on your heart? And just to create space for that part of me to grieve, to let the energy flow through and, um, I remember being um, at church one day and they talked about the practice of meditation or the practice of prayer or whatever, you know, you want to call it. And they said, there's um, three, three steps to being really great at meditation. The first one um, is to have a sacred space that you go to every single day, whether it be a cushion, a chair in nature, wherever it might be, just have a sacred space that you go to. Mm. It's quiet. That's isolated. The second step is to have a rhythm of refill, a rhythm of refill where, Hey, you know, do you go there consistently? Like for me, my morning practice is, you know, 30 minutes in the morning after my shower and my green juice, I go and I sit, um, you know, a lot of times when I'm transitioning to after work, before I go and spend time with my friends or, you know, my relations, whatever it might be, it's like, okay, am I going to just kind of sit just to make sure I'm transitioning? So having that rhythm of going there and step three, which I really loved um, I remember she, it was a woman who says, she's like the third step, grieve, <laughs> let it out, mm. like feel the emotions of it. And that part of me that feels sad, that part of me feels depressed. It's like, I have to let, whether it be the tears come out. Sometimes I get a towel. I'm in a men's group and I actually learned this, this is a great one. Yeah. I get like a towel and you put, uh, you put it on your throat and over your, your mouth and you actually like kind of hold your your trachea so you don't like uh, let your vocal cords vibrate too much and you put it over your mouth and you just scream you know because you got it over you, yeah, you know? yeah. but it's like that energy it needs to move it yeah. needs to like go through and so certain times it's like just being with it and feeling where it is your body is and certain times it's just like let the roar come through yeah. and it's crazy how much it's just like it's kind of like when you go into an ice plunge it's like you go and you're like damn i needed that yeah I just need a freaking reset. It's like, let me hit the reboot button just real quick. And that's really what it's been. And so really my work is not having so much judgment for the parts of me that don't always feel good. 
and realizing that those parts are actually here to serve me and actually here to cause me to slow down Mm. that are asking me to nourish them a little bit more and to integrate them. And then when I integrate them, I actually can embody more of the fullest version of myself. Mm. Um, And, you know, a lot of times those parts, especially, you know, um, like if I just ended a relationship, um, you know, in a relationship about uh, a year and a half or so ago, and the parts of me were really sad because they were using the relationship to try to feel good, mm. you know, and I had to go to those parts consistently, that rhythm of refill and be like, Hey, like, Hey, that was a great strategy to try to feel whole, mm. but like, I can give you that certain sense of wholeness. Yeah. Like, and I can give you the love, like my higher self, my, you know, my essence, you could call it is, is here to give you that wholeness. And that's just been, um, yeah. I'm still in that work. Yeah. <laughs> same, same here. Um, yeah, there's, there's something that I've discussed actually yesterday with my, my most recent podcast guest. And that's the vicious cycle that you can get into with the anxious states or the depressive states and then feeling shame for feeling those feelings. Mm-hmm. I'm in a mentorship group with, with Julian joined it right after our retreat. And I, it was very helpful for me to, to understand the difference between authentic and chronic suffering. And so that that vicious cycle is chronic suffering and men seem to feel a sense of weakness for not being able to, or if they express those emotions, they're looked upon as, as weak. And so then they shove that, that down and that's like energy being stored and just shoved and shoved. And so, um, you know, the podcast guest that I, that I had on as well as other podcast guests and myself would use various coping mechanisms to, to like desensitize and to not feel those, those, Mm -hmm. those dark corners within our, uh, inner ecosystem. And it just becomes a terrible cycle because, you know, in, in the example of the last guest, she was saying she would use alcohol to numb the shameful parts of her life, but then feel shameful for drinking and shameful for the Mm. actions that she was using to numb herself. And so that, that, that can be, you know, a, a, a challenging aspect of life. And some people may think like, how the fuck do I get out of that? How do I get out of this? You know? Mm -hmm. And for me, it lasted for a bit. It lasted for a good portion of my younger uh, phase in life and then into college. And then, yeah, meditation was just like a miracle for me, man. I was like, what mm-hmm. meditation? And I also downloaded Headspace and I was, I was using it every day, like 15 to 20 minutes. And I was like, I'm doing this every day. And I just sat with what, like whatever would come up, whatever emotions, whatever thoughts, and it would be uncomfortable. And sometimes I would attach to them. And then it was this elegant practice of observing not being attached to them and yeah that that was the defi- like the defining modality that got me out of 
that cycle, that vicious cycle of, of combination of anxiety and depression. And, uh, so yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. And there was one other thread I want to pull on you. Oh, okay. So, uh, you stated, I can tell it was something good by the grin on your face right now. <laughs> well, I, I really enjoyed it. And you, you, you somewhat noted it here. You expressed online how depression is a gift. Mm. It's, it's given you gifts. And I took some notes and you stated the gifts of depression, the depth of awareness, expanded consciousness, increased sensitivity, meaning of friendship, appreciation of life, joy of a passionate heart, tenderness of love. Mm. I was like, wow, (laughs) that's some, some good stuff. Um, and some people might be wondering how the, how, how is depression or anxiety a gift? Mm. Do you want to share a little bit on that? Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll first caveat it by saying there are, are many forms of depression on the spectrum. And some people might feel very triggered by saying depression is a gift. In fact, my sister is one of them. She said, you don't get it. She's like, some people are hanging by a thread. And if you're trying to say it's a gift, that's going to fuck them up. And so I am simply sharing from my own experience within this. So that is my caveat. And um, I have you know, going you talked about kind of having distractions, whether it be drinking, whether it be marijuana, whether it be going and doing ayahuasca, whether it be, you know, going on as many dates as possible or always making plans or playing Tetris with your calendar to try to make it so that there's no free time to actually be with that stuff. Those all can be, you know, coping mechanisms that I personally have used so that I don't actually have to deal with just the inner silence. <laughs> and that's the crazy thing is that you can use exercise, ayahuasca, these sacred plant medicines. You can use like a, a loving relationship to hide these, mm-hmm. you can use these, um, bright, you know, uh, healthy things to cover up as well. It's mm-hmm. not, not just drinking, not just drug use and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's an ability to actually go to these parts and not simply, not actually try to fix them. I think that was probably been my biggest awakening or level of awareness over the past six to 12 months of, I need to stop trying to fix myself. I need to stop trying to make it so I no longer feel these things. And so how are you, you just, were there certain things you were doing to try to like fix it? Yeah. I was trying to like stop being so depressed. I was trying to, you know, not be lonely. I was trying to make it so like I was shaming, again, shaming those parts about myself. And actually all I've now tried to do is just develop a relationship with those parts about myself. You know, be like, oh, I'm sad today. I'm feeling a lower tonality today. Mm. Let's just go simply be with those parts and just hold space. And she's like, okay, mm. like, it's okay. Mm. Hey, you don't need to change. Just like, what's up? Like a lot of times I'll like look at that part and be like, Hey, what's your name? <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> you know, why do you feel this way? How long have you felt this way? What do you want? 
you know, it's just, and it's not like, no, don't be this way. It's just something like, Hey, what's up? Who are you? It's like a deep level of inquiry with it. And, um, it's kind of like the, uh, the inner child, like visualizing your inner child. So it's, it's inner internal family systems, the inner child work. I mean, that, that's really been, been the work that I've been doing. And, you know, there's a, uh, so I, I have a teacher, uh, he's a former Zen monk, uh, love, love him to death. He's probably been one of the most impactful people in my life. His name is Rob Renahan and, uh, he's the founder of, uh, an, in, uh, an organization and ecosystem. We call it called Lumina, mm. which is bringing forth, uh, what we call tier two leadership, which is a form of embodied leadership, open heart, mm. uh, leadership. And, you know, so often, you know, especially for, you know, people like us or people in sales or leaders is like, we are very achievement oriented and I'm wanting to do and to build and to, you know, make money so that then once I do this, then I am good enough. And it's also a, you know, coping mechanism. Like I would be lying if I didn't tell you that I was trying to build alluvians at times so that then I could tell the world I was good enough. It's the same thing with this podcast. Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the shit. So there's a positive purpose to it. Yeah. But also the negative purpose of, am I just trying to get clients? Am I just trying to throw bigger and better retreats so that then the world will say, look how cool Alex is. Mm. Right. And then I would feel good enough. Or Am I actually trying to build alluvians or are we actually trying to do this podcast so that it's actually serving the mission with which we are trying to do? Mm. And that is a constant practice. Yeah. Even before, like if I have somebody come to me, you know, they, they, you know, reach out to me and say, Hey, I'm interested in one of your retreats. Can I have a conversation? If I'm before that meeting saying, ah, I'm going to try to figure out how to get this person to sign up for my retreat. Like, again, that's like me coming with an agenda. That's me. You know, it's like whether or not they realize it, Mm -hmm. they feel it. Yeah. Like they feel that like agenda on me versus, Hey, let me just be in a deep level of inquiry into how can I support this person regardless of whether or not they sign up for my retreat through the conversation to make them think of what's really possible for them. And also what is potentially holding them back from actually getting there. Mm. And you know, one thing that I've always felt that I feel like now I'm finally entering into a new stage of this is I've never wanted a job. I've never wanted to wake up and say, I have to go to work today. Yeah, same. I want to wake (laughs) up and I want to serve the purpose and the mission with which I am trying to do here on earth. How do we get to that point where each and every single one of us can step into that? Because each and every single one of us has a different background, different challenges, different obstacles, different opportunities that we've gone through. And we each have this unique expression of our true selves that when we actually learn to embody that and bring that gift to the world, whether it be through retreats, whether it be through crypto, whatever it might be, that is what I call uh, and, and Rob has taught me is what's called an essence led leader, a person who embodies the unique flavor of themselves and lets that mm. come out. Mm. 
And that's, you know, that's the journey I'm on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stepping into your alignment, stepping into your own authority, then attracts naturally other people that, you know, um, resonate with who you are. Like if, if you were, or myself with the podcast and you with the retreats and Alluvians, if you were to try to be very logical and really, um, uh, just trying to force it without aligning with yourself, a, a, a sense of respect and a sense of understanding of your own nature, you're, you're kind of fo like forcing things in a way. Mm -hmm. And then that, that, uh, that non-alignment within yourself is heard, maybe not audibly or visibly, but the, the actual, and I, you know, for some guests that are listening, like the energetic vibration of, of understanding that person, it, it, it's real. It is so fucking real. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I try my best to speak to moving energy and that, that essence, which in a way is intuition. It's that intuitive feeling and understanding. If I, if I jump on a call with Alex to go on this retreat and he's got an agenda, it's like, I'm fucking nailing this. This is a, this guy's coming mm -hmm. whether he likes it or not. And you can sense it, man. Mm -hmm. You can totally sense it. It's out of rapport. You, you don't trust me with that. And again, that it's, it's a constant practice because at the end of the day, hell, I want to put food on my table. Yeah. Right. right. I have a vision of, of the lifestyle I want to live and how I want to support my family mm. and do cool things and travel the world and, and all of that. And that, you know, can come through. Yeah. There's a little bit of like, yeah. Fear of not making those basic necessities, those higher, you know, Maslow's hierarchy mm -hmm. of needs. And as you step away from your nine to five, you know, I'm personally curious because eventually I want to step away from in my nine to five and do my own thing with the podcast or if it's some type of service that aligns with my own purpose, how to balance. I mean, obviously you're, you're going to step away when you're, you're seeing traction with making actual revenue. You're not going to mm -hmm. just, I'm leaving as soon as, and you're not making shit, you know, because mm -hmm. like, I'm not making any money on this right now. And so I wouldn't be able to support myself just to eat and to drink. Um, but once you do find that, that essence, I mean, it, I'm curious how you, how you, I wouldn't say plan. Cause I, at the same time, you're probably just, you're present with your, with your program. Mm -hmm. Right. But at, at the same time, how to balance that presence, which is probably meditation and doing the work <laughs> in itself. <laughs> but like that, cause like, that's something that is a little scary for me is like always being in the nine to five and be like, all right, I found a, I found something that's very fulfilling, mm. aligning with my, that something that feels like it's my highest good. And if I jump off, this is it, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you don't want to jump into the, Oh man, I got to make sure though, that I make this amount of money for this retreat or for th this amount of podcasts. And how do you balance yeah. that? That, you know, I feel grateful that so over the past year I worked at a company called Catalyst and I was recruited to go to Catalyst from my old chief revenue officer, a guy named Mark. And when I, I had left outreach, uh, for about, you know, 
two or three months and I was building alluvians and I was still just simply figuring out what the frick was alluvians. Like I came out with like an online course for leaders on how to be a better leader. And it like was cool, but like, I wasn't really feeling it, but like, you know, it was something to do. And he said, Hey Alex, like, I know you're doing alluvians. Um, he's like, I, I just started this new company called Catalyst. He's like, I want you to come and help me build out the sales team. And I said to him, I was like, I'm in, but you got to know I'm building alluvians. Like that's, that's my number one priority. That's not even just my number one priority. Like it's my mission. Mm. And, uh, just through the relationship I had with him, I spoke with the two co-founders, um, and I got their full support of like, Hey, like I'm going to be building alluvians. I'm going to be posting on LinkedIn. I'm going to be doing it on Instagram. Like this is the thing. And I will help you build your company. Mm. And why it was so valuable and and it's not easy to find yourself. I feel very blessed and grateful to have found myself in the situation, but why it was awesome is because when I was throwing the retreats, um, my first one was last February, you know, my first really big one was in July. Mm -hmm. It was not about the money at all because I had money coming in from my W2, mm -hmm. but what it allowed me to do is like, okay, when I'm having these enrollment conversations with people to join the immersions or these retreats, it wasn't from a man, if I don't, close you, I'm going to not be able to pay rent. Yeah. So it really allowed me to come from a state of abundance as I was doing it as a state of like, Hey, like come here and join this if you want. But like, if not, like that's totally okay too. And they could, they could really feel that. Mm. Um, and then it just got to a point, you know, after the last immersion that we threw, uh, in November that, you know, we have now 30 people in our year long community. Like I said, we've had more than a hundred people come, uh, to our immersions. That's like, okay, this now deserves, this is now at a certain point where I it can support a, a, the, the lowest foundation of my lifestyle to, to pay my bills. Mm -hmm. And it's a freaking leap of faith, dude. Yeah. Like I ha I'm having to get pay for my own health insurance now. Yeah. You know, I don't see every two weeks money being put into my bank account. Um, you know, if I don't hit quota, at a full-time job, I still have a base salary. If I don't, you know, bring in any people, like they're still, you know, I don't know, but what it, it, what I feel like I am now entering into is it's just a full leap of faith that, Hey, I feel more myself than really I have ever felt. Mm. I feel more embodied to and, and at the level of capacity to be able to genuinely impact people in the want, in the way I want to. And I'm also still deeply committed to my own personal journey and work. Mm -hmm. I'm still attending my own retreats where I'm a participant. I'm still receiving coaching. I'm still seeing my therapist, shout out Shirley. I'm still seeing, <laughs> you know, all these things. So I'm like, okay, I'm still in integrity that as long as I'm deeply committed to my own personal growth of becoming more and me and embodying that. And I'm in a deep level of service to the people who I'm helping, you know, if it doesn't work out, like, I don't know what else I could, <laughs> like, I don't know what else are you supposed to do if it doesn't work out? Yeah. I'm giving it everything I have. Um, but yeah, there's definitely times where I'm like, Oh shit. Like this is scary. And again, that's a part that then I have to go to and I have to create space for and be like, Hey, what's up? Yeah. You want to talk? How you feeling? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's cry it out or whatever we got to do here. Yeah. 
Yeah, I had a friend just say he was looking to <clears throat> looking to practice or incorporate various practices that help him with establishing and instilling instilling courage and faith within him. And this one, I mean, this, mm. this just seems like a, a, a perfect way to do that. Um, and yeah, I was, I was, I was curious to, to hear what you had to say about that. Cause that's something that I'm looking to do as well in the future. Um, I mean, I think, I think you're doing it. I mean, I think this is the thing. There's so many people who want to make the jump, but aren't doing it in any sort of capacity you have a sidekick, whether or not it's producing revenue, you're learning what your message is. Mm -hmm. You're creating a brand for yourself. You're allowing yourself to get punched in the face just a <laughs> tiny bit. So that next time that haymaker comes, you know, to duck, yeah. you know, like that's the thing for people. I, I see so many people who they're like, I'm fed up with my W2. They quit. And then they start their, their company. Mm. And then there's this like, yeah. Oh man, yeah, like we're in this weird state. So it's like survival mode. Yeah. And right now we're in this unique inflection point within the corporate world where everybody and their mother has a side gig. Mm. People are developing a brand. People are posting on LinkedIn. People got TikToks, people, you know, all this sort of stuff that's beautiful and don't do it necessarily to make money, do it to try to figure out what the fuck are you talking about? What's your message? Yeah. Like, what do you care about? And and start there. And then if you're doing that, it will unfold. Opportunities yeah. will open up. Yeah. Uh, what, what you just said about getting punched in the face in the process. I totally feel that. <laughs> and I was talking to, I, I think we, I was noting this in the sauna and talking to Pritam yesterday. By the way, we, we did a sauna sesh here before this yeah. podcast for everybody. Yeah. It's curious. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a good uh, thing to do before a pod. Yeah, it is. I've done ice before too. Mm. Um, and I, I stated that I'm in this massively transformational and healing process. And as I'm in this process, I'm discovering things publicly, mm. which you got to be careful with, but it's something that, yeah, at times is scary. And, um, as a, as a leader doing what you're doing with Alluvians, I wonder how you approach that process. Cause we're all kind of healing as well. And, um, trying to be as honest as you possibly can and vulnerable, but knowing when, when to, when to say it at the mm. right stage in your life in a way that it comes out confidently, but that confidence is also authentic and it feels right. That's something that's, it's a challenge mm -hmm. and you know, you're doing it, you are doing it publicly as well. You're publicly speaking in front of 30 to 50 or a hundred people while you're going through these rich, like retreats, um, mm -hmm. you know, you, I think you did an Austin retreat, uh, on Billy's land mm -hmm. like two or three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. 
that wasn't too far away from our ayahuasca, <laughs> which can open up a lot, you know? Totally. And um, I'm just curious how you navigate those seas of, mm. of being a leader, of going through these really, you know, I mean, it's such a blessing and Pridham, um, yesterday's guest that I was talking to, she was saying how it's such a privilege to have access to these sacred medicines mm. in modern times compared to like just booking a trip in the 1920s and be like, all right, I'm, I'm from the United States. I'm going to go to the Amazon and figure it out and mm-hmm. try to find a shaman. And now you can like go on Instagram and just, you know, like I bought Hoppe mm-hmm. and got it from the Amazon in two weeks or no, two days, you know, mm-hmm. like it's just such a privilege, but anyway, we live in a good ass time. We do. <laughs> we do. You know, like there's, there's Instagram pages that actually promote and market the legal use of ayahuasca mm-hmm. and you can tap into that and gain so much resources and have options to know like, Oh, this one feels more right than that one. Instead of being like, all right, that's the one shaman that I met mm-hmm. here while I've, I'm only in Peru for, you know, like a couple of days. So I'm going to have to go with him, you know? And then all of a sudden he's just this like dark Slytherin guy or something, <laughs> you know, like you just get Voldemort comes out of the Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> just get fucked. Um, so yeah, I, I'd like to, I'd like to hear how you, you, you balance that because I, I I'm stepping into my own leadership that mm-hmm. I didn't even know was possible for me. I didn't even feel like it was a path for me and it, it's starting to show up and like pretty, pretty organically. And so I'm trying to navigate that and it, it can be difficult to, to be, to remain authentic and to know when to say certain things when you're going through these, yeah these moments where it can be pretty disentangling for yourself. Yeah. So a couple of things to that. So I remember when I was at outreach, it was 2020, uh, right? Like three months into COVID and, um, we had an all hands, 1500 people hopped on this call and our CEO, his name was Manny Medina. He hops on and he's like, Hey guys, I just want everybody to know I'm struggling. Mm. He's like, working from home. I have like a three-year-old daughter. It's like, we're trying to figure out this whole company thing. It's like, I'm really like in a tough state right now. Mm. And I just remember hearing that and I was like, Oh my God. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Actually though, I was like, wow, I felt permission to feel not good because he didn't feel good. The CEO of the company, if he hopped on and he was like, everything's great. We're so good. This company's great. You know, I'd be like, bro, no, it's not (laughs) like we're all struggling. But like the fact that he just named something that so many of us felt immediately, I trusted him more. And I also was like, I will follow this fucking guy anywhere because of what he just said right there. And then it allowed me to, it was such a great example of vulnerability as a leader. Mm. And, you know, I really believe in, you know, what I call dynamic leadership. And again, this is something that Rob taught me, uh, the former Zen monk. And dynamic leadership is really, we can be led by many people, even the people who we are the leader of. Like as, you know, a manager of a team, I would communicate to my team, like, hey, I'm like just in it right now. And they would have my back and I would let them coach me, so to speak or give me feedback or just hold space for me. And and it made me feel taken care of and 
It made them trust me more. And it also gave them the opportunity to step up more in their leadership. Mm. So they felt more empowered. And it was just, it, it, it's like, you know, I feel like in the past we thought like a leader needs to have it all figured out. They need to look like they're doing so great. We need to put them on the pedestal. They're perfect. And that's just, nobody's perfect. Everybody's dealing with their demons. In fact, the people who are at the very top probably deal with more demons than anybody. And so, you know, I just really have, have believed in that. But at the same time, one of the reasons why I feel safe to share the stuff that I'm struggling with, even to the people who I'm leading, like even to the people in my community, like I posted a Slack message three days ago um, in my community of just like, Hey guys, I have had a tough week. I've woke up in some funks. Um, and I've just been with it. I was like, I couldn't, you know, I was getting distracted five minutes into my meditation. So I'd stop my meditation, but I ended up going to the gym and lifting some weights, like just kind of sharing like what I was experiencing, just making it okay. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I feel safe enough to share these things is because I feel held and safe that I'm, I'm supporting myself in the right way, even when I'm in it. Again, I'm not judging myself when I'm not feeling good. I'm actually saying, hey, I'm not feeling good. There's something here. There's an el the elixir here for me to figure out what it is and to find the gold from it. Mm. And I have an incredible community around me. Like I, I have, um, like there's, there's multiple circles that I'm in, but like people, um, like a, a woman named Clara, she's one of the co-hosts for Alluviance. She is like my ride or die. Like, and I come to her with so much stuff, Rob, Tom Alamo, Alec Kimball, like all these people who, when I'm hurting, I'm like, yo guys, like I'm dealing with this stuff. And one of the things that uh, a lot of times when we're struggling, we, we try to lone wolf it and, you know, we don't want people to know and it just festers and it's, mm. it's, it's, it's in us. But a lot of times if I'm struggling, like in the communities that I'm part of where I'm not the leader, but I'm, you know, member, I'll actually record a video of myself just sharing like, Hey guys, like I'm in this <laughs> thing. And what's crazy is just by sharing it and being seen in it, I feel the energy start to move through me. Yeah. Like I feel it. Like it's like, it like releases the burden of what it has on me. And then I'm like, Oh, I just need to tell people. That's it. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of crazy how yeah. that works. Like we have so much shame around our shit, but really it's like everybody deals with shit. <laughs> oh yeah. Every human being is a human being and you're going to face your flaws. You're going to face your weaknesses. You're going to face your strengths and you have emotions. And yeah, I, I hearing that story of your, of the previous CEO that you used to work for, and just sharing as like the, the, you know, he's, he's the top, top dog, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, a CEO that I've also witnessed in my life was going through some crazy stuff and some family things. And he was so vulnerable at like an unch. So it was, it was at, um, like an orientation. It was like a, a week for everybody in the company to come, come together and just kind of belted out and was like, I'm going through this serious stuff. And it was serious. It mm. was like family things that like physical ailments of family members and stuff like that. And to just to be respectful of his privacy 
I actually would like to have him on the podcast at some point and he's, he's down. So that'd be pretty cool. Hmm. Um, but he just said it. He was, you know, we were all there. It's like, it's, um, this ecosystem. Everybody came into Austin, Texas. Unchained's about to go forward pretty, you know, um, with a, you know, striving for progress and evolving the company from a startup to a evolved and mature company. And he, he belted out what he, what he was going through. And I was like, man, I respect you so much for saying that and have so much more compassion for you. And it does open the opportunity for people to be able to open up themselves and be like, yeah, I was kind of feeling this too, man. Like I trying to make my quotas and trying to develop this product or this, you know, I, I had some feedback on this stuff and it just didn't feel like I could, if you don't have other members sharing these things, it, it doesn't, you're not able to move that energy around. And, um, so I, I love that. And to tap into the communities here, I have multiple circles as well. And Squatch specifically, like I was talking to Michelle before she left here with our hoppe session. <laughs> uh, and I just told her, I was like, you know, I, I'm doing back-to-back podcasts. Just got back home. Like I just flew home from Thanksgiving holiday, you know, and um, just going through different things in life. And uh, I just, it was just this effortless ability to express like, this is what I'm going through and just taking a deep breath. And it's so effortless and natural here at Squatch. Mm -hmm. You can just talk to so many people and it's like, yeah, nice. I got a pump in, but I also got like a nice emotional pump in, too, mm-hmm. you know, and no doubt. the sauna talks, man. Like you can, I had one, <laughs> I had one the other day. It was like the day after I flew in with two people that I didn't really know that well. And we just talked about pretty like compat, like just like great stuff. We didn't really know each other. By the end of the sauna, we're all sweat and we're so hot and we're just like, nice to meet you. Like that was awesome. And there's something special here in, in Austin's like specifically in Squatch. And, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, to, 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 to not hide those things and to not try to like logically or even like physically, like going to the gym, be like, I just, I can't tell anybody about this, but I'm going to go to the gym and just like fucking work it out. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, that's not going to, it's not going to do you good for the long term, my friend, probably, mm-hmm. at least from experience. And people, people know when something's up. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. And when you're not naming it, like, and obviously you have to be in rapport with somebody to name it. Like you have to feel safe enough. So you don't, you don't need to go around telling everybody all your, your stuff that you got going on. <laughs> But, you know, I, I mean, I've had, you know, a former boss, I remember, uh, was going through a divorce and like, he didn't tell me for about a month and I felt it. I was like, yo, this person is kind of in a weird state right now. And then he named it and I was like, oh my God, man, I feel you. Yeah. Like I had so much more compassion, empathy, all that sort of stuff for him. And I just like, let me just be, let me, let me have your back. Yeah. And, you know, you don't, you know, there's so many different ways to find community. I mean, I think there's two antidotes in this world that I believe will solve a lot of the pain and suffering that we have right now Two, The first one is community. 
right? Find yourself around people who are serving something greater, similar to you, mm. right? They, they share a, a common typology, common passion. I'm sure when you're having uh, problems, they, they have your back, but actually a great community, in my opinion, is there's a certain standard that you need to hold yourself to. Mm. Like, you know, it's like, hey, step up if you're going to be within this community. So community is number one. The second thing that I believe is really important is meaning. People want meaning, purpose, mm. right? If you have those two things, if you have community and you have a meaning and purpose, yo, like good shit's going to flow when that, like this is sound so grandiose to say, but it's like when you have those two things, what is not possible Right. when you have those two things? And maybe I'll add a third one in here when you're working on the craft, mm. when you're getting better at what you do. Right. Whether it be a podcast host, whether it be sales, whether it be, you know, being a leader, whatever, like if you're, if you're consistently like, here's the thing. I love the woo woo shit. I love the breath work. I love the meditation. I love the plant medicine. I love, you know, all that sort of stuff. Like I'm down for that. But if it's also not, if it's not grounded mm -hmm. in the real world and becoming great at your craft, like it, it's just, yeah. what are we doing? And so community, meaning craft, you have those things. Boom. Makes life easier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading a book right now. Cause I, going back to the beginning of this conversation, you asked me what I've been talking about. And a lot of it's been spiritual exploration. At times I was like nervous to talk about things. So I was like, this seems like pretty heady, pretty woo woo. Kind of stuff. <laughs> you know? Like when I, when I talk about this and I'm just getting started, you know, and just immersing myself into this, this community. And, um, I'm reading a book. It's called gift of the body by Jonathan Goldman. And it's so good, man. It's, he encapsulates these, you know, these, these, um, templates or these contexts of chakras, these energy centers within your body, which to the Western, you, you know, U S citizen might say that's some magical bullshit. Oh, yeah. And that's kind of what I would think about it. Uh, you know, at a previous state of my life, but he talks about it in a way that's that really resonates. And he, he discusses like the emotional body, the mental body and how the mental body is separate from the mind and how meditation helps with the mental body and these different energies and thought forms and, and all of it comes together. And he literally says, grounded it's grounded spirituality mm. and i love it and I, i'll i'll show you the book if you that's want good to. grounded it's, spirituality yeah it's it's it hits home for me um because you can get lost and i've seen it personally here in austin mm. um you can just want to go to that next ayahuasca retreat you want to go to that next just doing hape every every half hour, you know, <laughs> just, um, just, you know, and spiritual I, bypassing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that, and that's a, in, in a sense, that's another form of numbing. Mm -hmm. It's another form of trying to gain pleasure all the time. And, and so to be able to, to hone your craft and to have community and to be into that and, yeah. And incorporate these spiritual like privilege, like privileges, um, these, these different tools that we can use. I mean, like what a time to be alive. It's, mm. it's really, really cool. And all the resources that we have online with different podcasts and different blogs. And, and so, um, 
really cool. And, and to get into spirituality, I would love to hear if you feel called to share like your journey of your spiritual practice Mm. for me. It's very new. It's very novel. Mm. Uh, I do incorporate hoppe here and there with prayer. I don't always use hoppe. I'll still pray, like pray a, once or twice a day. And this book has been, the gift of the body has been very helpful for me. And I'm going to dive through that. And there's another tradition that I'm looking into and they actually, um, yeah, there's, there's certain churches all around the world. And so, you know, I, I've looked into all different types of religions, whether it's Buddhism, Christianity, Hinduism. And I'm just always curious to hear mm. other people's their, their journey, like their experience of how they got to, mm-hmm. um, you know, how they got to, whether it was Christianity, whether it was Buddhism, whether it was doing hop every 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I have a, a, interesting. So my, my father was born and raised Jewish. Okay. Um, and when he was in his mid forties or so, uh, he found Jesus. Mm. And he converted to Christianity. He calls himself a Messianic Jew, oh, wow. a Jew who believes in Jesus. Huh. And um, I was raised, uh, you know, in the Christian church, uh, but always, you know, reminded, hey, you're Jewish. You got Jewish blood in you. Mm-hmm. And I've always been very proud of that. And I'm so, I, I, I'm so grateful uh, to have that be just part of me and, and part of so much of my family and celebrating Jewish holidays and you know, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, but I always felt a great, relationship and resonance with God. I was like, I don't, you know, I just, I feel him, Mm. um, it in, in some sort of way. And I, uh, you know, was asked, I I asked to be baptized when I was about 12 or 13 years old. You know, I just was like, I want to commit my life to Jesus. Like, Mm. this is it. And when I was about 20 or so, um, I started kind of questioning Jesus. I was like, you know, is Jesus the only son of God only through Jesus? Can we get to God? Like, that seems like a little bit you know, what about all the other people who never found Jesus? Like, what if I'm a son of God? What if you're a son of God? And so I actually um, chose to identify solely as being Jewish uh, and to kind of say, hey, you know, I respect Jesus and the teachings, but I I am fully Jewish. And that was, became my identity. Mm. Uh, And I went to birthright in Israel, 10 days, one of the best trips of my life. I actually uh, had a bar mitzvah on my uh, birthright trip, uh, you know, didn't, you know, memorize, uh, or, or study the Torah to, to, you know, or anything like that, or learn Hebrew. But I, you know, I had a bar mitzvah in Jerusalem. It was beautiful. And when I was about 24, so I started really getting into meditation and I ended up going to an eight day silent meditation retreat. Um, and I learned about Buddhism mm. and, uh, you know, different types of deities. And, and one deity that I have a, a picture of at my home is named Mahakala. And Mahakala is this big black smoky guy with his tongue sticking out. And the whole, you know, thing with Mahakala, at least that I learned there was there's no entity uh, or no energy that is too great for Mahakala to take on. Mm. And I found so much like, wow, you know, it doesn't mean necessarily he's going to win, but like he's going to take it on. Um, And it wasn't until about uh, two or so years ago uh, that, uh, I found, uh, and watched the show, the chosen, uh, which is a, a three seasons or so about Jesus. 
completely reignited my faith, is my it, relationship with him. Is it fictional or non-fictional? Uh, it's, it's a, a show, but it's about the story oh, of okay, Jesus. Gotcha, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. accurate based on the Bible. Yeah. And all these different parts of me are still, you know, very much a part. So I, uh, I call myself a Buddhist Jew who loves studying the teachings of Jesus and who Jesus is. <laughs> Uh, so that's not the most diplomatic type of <laughs> spiritual, but it's, you know, there's, there, I find truth in everything and there's many different avenues and paths to God and Jesus, you know, personally is a very big part of my life. And a lot of times, especially when I'm in a meditation and I can't reach God or I can't, you know, be able to just, you know, get help from myself, so to speak and say, Hey Jesus, I need your help. Yeah. And he's like, I got you puts his arm around my shoulder and he's like, I got you. I'm here. I'm always here. And so, you know, I, I find all, all religions or all spirituality so beautiful. And I, you know, have a, such a curiosity. Um, one of the guys who I used to uh, lead, his name is Muhammad and he's, uh, you know, Muslim. And I've asked him so many questions. I'm like, well, who, you know, what do you believe? How do you think about this? And I've loved those conversations. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't think there's any one way, but I love just being in the deep level of inquiry in terms of like, what's your definition of God? Mm. How do you think about it? What's your, mm. what's your way of connecting with him? Is it through prayer? Is it through meditation? You know, so many different types of things. So uh, yes, I am a very spiritual person, but many different modalities of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, so the, the Santo Daimi tradition, mm. which was what was contextualized for our ayahuasca ceremonies in the book, The Religion of Ayahuasca, he speaks to, there's this sentence that I highlighted. I highlighted so many parts of this book, but this one that he says, essentially what you've described here is that there are many different pathways to a spiritual path. We have just chosen Jesus as our avatar. Mm. I was like, oh, as your avatar. Mm -hmm. huh. And there seems to be this I mean, there, there are rituals, there are, um, there is a doctrine for this religion, but there does seem to be a little bit of spiritual freedom and evolution within the, within this lineage. Um, and so it always fascinates, to, fascinates me to, to hear people's stories and, that is pretty diplomatic. There. <laughs> it's not meant to be. It's Who's like, you that loves Jesus. <laughs> I love that. Um, something that I wanted to dive into specifically um, is your experiences with the medicine mm. during our retreat. Mm. And also, I mean, it could be, we could talk about other more powerful. I mean, they're all powerful, but um other ceremonies that you've gone to, if anything comes to mind that really impactfully, um, you know, transformed you or transmuted something. And for me, I mean, I remember looking at you when I think it was the morning after the first ceremony. And I just like looked at you. I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I met God. <laughs> Did I, you said that or yeah, I said that? Well, you asked me how my ceremony was. Mm. I was like, I'm pretty sure I met God. Mm. Cause it was so intense, man. Like mm. it was like the visuals, the combination of the various senses. So whether, I mean, there wasn't really audible cause the audible aspect of it is just the singing of the shaman and the people, um, that are with the shaman 
but the visuals and the physical sensations and the emotional context and what truly felt like some, some divine spirit was just taking this vessel. It was so powerful, but also extremely intense, Mm. uncomfortably intense at times. And it got to a point, and I've described this many times, I, I, you know, I've, I've stated that it was as if like my nervous system was like, no, 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 just sit still and let it be. It was so, it was just so like if you or Tom next to me had tried to like do something, I would have been like, there's no fucking way. <laughs> I was just like in it, it, you know, and it, there's this book called liquid light. Um, and it's this beautiful author that has this combination of being a scholar, but also doing the work for 15 years in the Santo Daime lineage. So taking ayahuasca for 15 years, many times per year. And he's also a Texas citizen, which is like such a cool combination. Mm -hmm. So he's able to use as a scholar, use his words pretty like skillfully, but he does it in a way that's like graceful and respectful of the religion and total, like with total humility, knowing that words will not describe what he's gone through, but he does it really well. And so, you know, there were multiple times the shaman even asked me, are you still in the force? I was like, is, are we, is this, is this like star Wars episode 10? <laughs> star Wars is a form of religion. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and I've heard that, um, that term being used in the religion of ayahuasca, the book, that book in liquid light. And then amongst the people during our retreat and yeah. So it does feel, and, and just to, just to provide some context of what I've learned through the, through the book liquid light is, is these two theories that the author presents of what consciousness is. And there's two theories it's transmissive and productive the productive theory is your brain produces consciousness. Transmissive is your brain is like a radio. You can tune into, you know, the radio is not creating that music. It is not actually producing from the instruments, mm-hmm. you know, all together, harmoniously coming together. Like that radio isn't doing that, but it is tuning in a frequency to come in and have different other forms of consciousness coming from various entities, spirits or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. And like people that may not be into, uh, the spiritual, um, community might say like, that sounds kind of crazy, you know, that you, you're inviting these different spiritual entities to, to now embody your consciousness. But that mm-hmm. absolutely is what my embodied experience felt like. Mm-hmm. It was so overwhelmingly powerful and I just walked away not I mean I couldn't put words to anything and it did feel like you know I've heard the term Christ consciousness and we were talking about when uh and I would love you know for you to speak on this too but we'll keep stay on topic for now um (laughs) is uh like how you speak from you know from from your from your root chakra mm-hmm. and or you could be speaking from your gut or your heart or your 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 throat or your head and sometimes when you're speaking from you know the the logical sense it may not come off as like this this like powerful tonality and vibration within your voice 
And so the term or the, yeah, the, the, um, concept of Christ consciousness, a part of me reflected on that and how these plant medicines can help you with obtaining that type of high non-ordinary state of consciousness mm-hmm. and how there is this effortless ability to speak from your higher self, capital H, capital mm. S. And I had, I, I was able to embody that. And I, I do try to say this with humility and, and remaining humble because like you come right back like into ordinary life and it, you know, you, you drop right back into your human ordinary self and you, you do experience your lower selves, but that's something that I experienced and it was just so fascinating to me to, to go through that. And then there, you know, there's certain moments where I speak with other gentlemen and some of them fell asleep during the, during the ceremonies. Like, how the fuck did you fall asleep? I was like on a different planet, man. Yep. <laughs> you, know, you know? So I just like to hear, cause like Bardia also, um, you know, he talks about his specialties, um, but also spoke to like his experience with the, with mm-hmm. the retreat. So I would love to, to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I, first of all, I, I love that right there, that, that share. I love being able to speak to God. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the way that I was taught to use the medicine um, was there's kind of like three different stages that you go through. The first stage is all about show me who I've become, meaning, you know, we are in this world and, and, you know, we get put into society and the structure of becoming a version who just fits into this world. And it's not us. It's like trying to fit into this uniform of I am a human being. And, you know, a lot of times, especially in that first stage on the, on the medicine, you start to say like, Oh man, like I'm portraying and making myself be somebody who I'm actually not. Like I'm, I'm trying to tell the world that I'm this great, successful sales professional. And actually like, I hate sales, let's say, <laughs> right. Or I, you know, I'm trying to make it seem to a potential partner that I'm so successful and like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not like whatever it might be. So it's like, show me who I've become. That's actually not letting my true light shine through. Mm. The second stage is merge me back with my soul, mm. meaning let my light actually break through this like heaviness, this fog that's outside of us and actually shine through again. And for me personally, like that was a big part of my journey that, that week that we were, Mm. we were on the medicine of remembering who I am, remembering who I am. And for me, that was a big part of remembering, like I'm a fucking lion. (laughs) Like I resonate with lion. I got a lion on my phone uh, as the background to simply remember, say, Hey, remember I I can roar. Like a lion doesn't try to be anybody but itself. Mm -hmm. And it's powerful as hell. You don't fuck with a lion, you know? And, and it was like remembering my truth, remembering my, my, (laughs) I wrote this into my journal uh, during that week is like remembering my shamanhood, you know, like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm type of person who I love spirituality. Mm. And I like to speak about that sort of stuff. And to re to, to like take back like who I actually am and to unapologetically be that version in the world. Mm. And I was still at my W2 at that time and I was really planning to, to step into the, you know, my CEO role of, of Alluvians. And so a big part of my journey was like, what is the version of me that's the CEO of Alluvians? Mm. 
Like, what is he like? What is, what is his characteristics? How does he treat other people? Who does he surround himself with? What's his message? And so just like remembering, Hey, my lion, the, the, the retaking back, like merging back with my soul is like, I just want to first off go on the journey of becoming who I truly am and then supporting and guiding and shepherding other people to become who they truly are. Mm. And that was like my biggest, like, boom, Mm. I'm back, baby. And the third part is, um, heal my heart at all costs. And, you know, that, that's a big one, especially when you bring up, you know, whether it be depression or, uh, past relationships with loved ones, you know, whether romantic or, you know, part of your family, whatever it might be of just like, you know, come and just like heal my, my heart. And I, um, it wasn't this, this one, but I remember at a, a previous, uh, retreat, plant medicine retreat, I had this crazy experience where, uh, I went back to a previous lifetime where I was uh, a native American and I was on the battlefield. I was just an everyday native American, not a chief or anything, just like on, on the battlefield. And I was stabbed through the back and through the heart. And I experienced my death and I had this like, like massive purge, like come out of me right at that time. And just like the healing from that experience in a previous lifetime. And after I purged, I'm like laying on the grass, just like exhausted mentally, physically, emotionally, just like, Oh my God, that was crazy. And that same native American, the old version of myself was at my feet and did this, um, you know, spiritual dance. And I was like, reignited with so much energy Mm. of just like, wow, I just healed a trauma from my heart that was blocking my heart from like allowing myself to be here. Um, Do you, do you genuinely believe that that was a past life? I believe in past lives. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great book called many lives, many masters. And, um, you know, what, what it talks about is we go through different lifetimes, um, with the same souls. Mm. So my father, for example, who I have a great relationship with my best friend, um, I believe that, you know, he was potentially a best friend in a previous life. Maybe I was his dog in a previous life. Maybe, you know, all these different things like we, you know, we are put through these journeys to so support each other through our karma. And I believe that through our, lives and and it's not just human lives here on earth you know there's so many paradigms that we could be in but we're meant to be both rich and both meant to be poor Mm. meant to be very good looking and very ugly meant to be but you know all these different experiences so you experience the fullness of everything in life and that's why it's like you know growing up uh you know whenever there was a spider in the bathroom my sisters would call me and say hey get the spider out of here i used to catch the spider I used to bring it outside and put it out in, in nature and just be like, Hey, at one point I'm going to be that spider <laughs> and I'm going to hope whoever comes to get me out of that bathroom is going to gently pick me up and bring me out there. I'm not going to smack that and kill it. <laughs> and that's a, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Yeah. I, I, uh, I haven't done much exploring or understanding of, of past lives and karma, but I'm more like, I would intuitively say that I do believe as well. I haven't gone down my own past life 
um, like what past lives I have, my spirit has gone through, but it's something that I'm investigating and it's, it's, uh, it's really cool. Cause I had this one woman on, her name was Michelle and she's also within the spiritual community of, and I would say the grounded spiritual community of Austin. And, um, she was, yeah, she was explaining, she went to multiple mediums at totally separate times in her life, totally different geographic locations. And her best friend's spirit that had a very, like when, when her best friend was alive, had this very unique personality, kind of like a, like, there's no way you're not going to know who Jim Carrey is. Right. And so every medium that she went to embodied these like characteristics. She's like, there's no way this isn't real. You know, like that's so, Mm. how cool is that? Like you just go to these various different mediums and this best friend of yours that you like, you know, their unique humor and their love. And all three of these mediums just were like, yep, I'm Jason or whoever her friend's name was. And just like, wow. Yeah. So that, that's what got me. I was like, I, I trust her too. I was just like, that's, that's crazy. Well, that's the like, thing. There's like a, a psychiatry of like, um, you, they take you into a hypnosis and they go help you heal from previous lifetimes and previous trauma. Mm. Um, and that's what's in the book, Many Lives, Many Masters. And just okay. like, you know, I'm like, yeah, I believe this shit now. Like it, that was a book that completely changed my view Dude. of life and souls and all that. So wild. I also had a podcast guest on his name's Sam. It was an episode right before my, my first ayahuasca retreat. And he suffered from like just life threatening asthma his whole life. And it led him towards a, uh, a life of darkness of addiction. And he got out of that, but he didn't in ayahuasca. Um, I think it was through one of his ayahuasca journeys that he found out he, in a past life, he was a native American that was hung. Mm. He was being choked and he couldn't breathe and he died and he couldn't breathe. Wow. And I was like, that's heavy. Yeah. These things, so I, I don't know. I mean, it's. And that could prevent him from then being able to fully speak. And you know that it's like, just like my heart like was closed. It was hurting. There was clogged because I had experienced this trauma in my heart. If you were strangled in the next life, you might feel like you can't use your yeah. voice. Yeah. You know, you can't speak up. Yeah. Because of this trauma that's happened in your throat. And that's something that I kind of want to speak to. I mean, I do this podcast. I talk all the time, but I, I, during our retreat uh, in October, I was constantly aware of this frog in my throat feeling. And it still comes up here and there a lot or, or much less so than it used to. But a part of me thinks like, maybe this is some fucking, I don't know, some individual in the 1400s that was, uh, yeah, I don't know, like just also hung in the, or, or like <laughs> shot, shot in the throat or something like that. I don't know, but, um, we'll go back on do some more plant medicine. Yeah. That could be the question that we ask. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, uh, speaking of tonality and like th- that frog in my throat, I just would love for you to just to speak to what you, you spoke to in the sauna about mm. speaking from different parts of your body yeah, and how you've, led various um individuals that go to Bolivian's retreats or programs and having that um 
con- like just natural, authentic confidence when speaking. Um, and cause at times it, it, for me, I, I've, like I said, when I was like during the retreat, I was speaking when I was in the medicine from a place that felt like so confident, like my highest self. And then there's certain moments where, yeah, you do feel like a little choked up or whatever, if you're nervous. And, um, yeah, I, I just haven't heard trying to speak from your, from your gonads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, there was a study that was done that said of your influence ability, uh, 7% of your influence are the words that you say only 7%. So it's 93% of your influence comes from things other than your words, which mm-hmm. is just crazy. Yeah. So 38% comes from your tonality and then about 55% comes from your body posture and the energy from which you are coming from. And your tonality is so important. And a lot of times, um, you know, you can speak, you kind of referenced earlier, but you can speak from your, your, you can speak from your nasally, from your throat, from your chest, from your gut, or, you know, if you're a man from your, from your balls, like from, from that area. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when I'm trying, you know, especially if I don't know what I'm talking about, I don't feel confident. I see, I feel myself talking mentally, mm-hmm. trying to say the right words to make other people believe that I know what I'm talking yeah. about. And I'm trying to piece together different words. But when I'm speaking from my gut, man, just sometimes the words just flow. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, it's just, I'm simply a channel and it's allowing it to come through. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more trustable. It's got a different frequency to it right? It brings people in and you can tell, you know, Chris Voss from never split the difference calls it the late night DJ voice. Like, can you speak from that place? Because that is a place that people are like, Oh, he gets it. Mm. He's confident what he's speaking to. Mm. Mm. Yeah. How do you practice speaking from your balls? (laughs) You know, in meditation, I call it, you know, speaking from your seat of essence. Uh, or just going to your seat of essence and, you know, I've also be, heard it be called your, your yin uh, or your kind of your bowling ball that's sitting in your hips. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times in my practice, I'll go and I'll, I'll feel my hips. I'll feel the front, the back, the sides, and really tap into that area and feel kind of the warmth of it, feel the, the, the rejuvenative, I don't know if that's a word, the, that, that space in there. Mm-hmm. And just allow that to be where I'm speaking from. Like, you know, there's so much truth and wisdom that comes from our body. Mm. Um, whereas our head is just, you know, it thinks about a lot of stuff, but when the true wisdom comes from, from your body. And so a lot of it comes from intention and also comes from a practice of meditation of tapping into the seat, your seat of essence. Mm. And the last topic I'd like to discuss with you, going back to alluvians, um, I saw you noted that being a leader is hard. It's also extremely rewarding. Building alluvians right now, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing? Mm. You know, I've always had a goal of building a big company, but I don't want to simply build a big company for the fact of making a lot of money or for having a whole bunch of employees. 
I want to build a great company because that's simply a metric for the amount of people that I'm impacting in a positive way. And the achiever part of me, especially the one that was raised from my father, who's very success oriented and, you know, through just our culture says, build, grow. Like I remember when I was a young kid, my dad said, Alex, I don't want you to be thinking millions. I want you to be thinking billions. You know, so I was just like trained and programmed to be thinking, get rich. And while there's value in that, that's not the essence from which I'm trying to build my company. Mm. But, you know, through mentors, various mentors I have, through partners that I have, people want to build a business to make money. Um, and there's value in that because there's more resources, you can do more stuff, but I really want to be building from how do I get this message out and get more people to this work? Mm. And that's probably one of the hardest things because I could grow, I could throw 20 retreats next year and I could try to serve as many people as possible for the purpose of making a shit ton of money. Mm -hmm. But guess what? Usually when I do that, especially if you grow too fast, the quality goes down, you get burnt out. Yeah. Like there's just a different essence of the actual work that, that you're doing. Um, and so am I down to make a lot of money? For sure. Absolutely. But I merely want that to be a byproduct of me serving something bigger, of me bringing the mission that I want to to the world, the unique expression of what I feel like I was meant to be doing here on this earth. Um, and then in addition to that, I'd say, you know, it's not what am I building, it's who am I building it with. Mm. That's the most important. And finding the people who are committed to the work who are um, practicing, who are, you know, coming from a, an essence of like purity. It's not easy to find. Mm -hmm. And especially when it comes to roles and responsibilities and who's getting paid what and, and all and egos getting involved, like the practice of developing and being in relationships. And especially when you come to friction, like you're going to come to friction. We always do. But how do we be in practice when the friction occurs versus succumbing to our parts or our ego and saying, you didn't do this. I'm not being treated correctly, whatever it might be, mm. but just simply saying, Hey, this is an opportunity for us to come from our truth. Mm. Yeah. So I'm sure you have to have some pretty clear and sharp discernment when onboarding employees or people that are going to build this with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, if doing, holding a retreat and, you know, sure we talk about sales and mastering the craft, but really what we're doing is we're doing the inner work. That's really sacred work. Mm. And it requires a level of vulnerability and trust from the people who are attending that retreat to go there. Mm -hmm. And if there's an energetic that's manipulative or has an agenda or somebody who's not of a certain level of development, but is leading a session, you know, it just, it impacts the container. And so, um, you know, if I want to take people deep, I can only take people as deep as I've gone myself mm. or the other people who are holding pillars for the community have gone themselves. And so finding fellow people on the journey you know, 
that's that's not easy to do. It's not easy, but I think when you do this work, your your skill or your intuitive uh, sixth sense maybe comes into play. Mm-hmm. You can kind of, and that might not come up in the two or three interviews that you do with them, but maybe, yeah, maybe maybe it comes up in a conversation once they're hired or in during a retreat and just thinking, well, if that happens, you know, that keeps happening. I don't know how that's going to work. And so, um, what is your vision for Alluvians? Mm. It's already looking great by the way, too. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. One thing I'll say about vision is the purpose of a vision is not necessarily that you achieve it. The purpose of the vision is who it causes you to be today. Right. And so when I look at the vision Mm. of, you know, I have a grand vision of me speaking in front of 10,000 people. And when I think of who that version of me is, I think of, man, what's that version? Like, what's his, what's he like? What's his habits? What's his characteristics? Who does he surround himself by? What does he eat for lunch? How often does he call his mom? Right. How can I actually take those qualities of me source from it and actually embody that today mm. and know and trust that as long as I'm doing that, it's going to either take me to my vision or far greater than I ever thought was possible. Mm. But at the end of the day, we are at such a unique inflection point within the world, within corporate, within sales, within, you know, masculinity, so much stuff. And at the end of the day, I'm really wanting people to drop more of their hearts and become just more a unique expression of themselves and be in community with other people who are doing that. And so for me right now, you know, we have our immersions and our retreats. We have our community, which is so beautiful to be able to do. But guess what? Businesses need this stuff too. And guess what? There's a lot of people who don't have access to be able to travel. And there's other ways to be able to get access to them through online boot camps or different things along those lines. You know, I have my podcast called the Rising Leader Podcast, and I want to be able to speak with other great leaders who are bringing forth this new wave of rising leadership and help, helping people feel a greater sense of purpose, self-connection, oh, and oh, by the way, drive great results. And so, you know, really for me, am I impacting the world in a positive way in all these different types of areas that's helping people connect with themselves? be in a greater level of community, again, find purpose mm. and do that. And, and I'm, I feel more fulfillment and purpose than I ever have before. And I truly believe that I'm just at the beginning of the beginning of it, that we all are just at the beginning of the beginning of it. Um, and as I do this work, not only is it awesome, I also feel a great sense of responsibility for it. You know, like, Hey, this is, this is good stuff (laughs) that the world needs. Mm -hmm. The world is in massive amounts of pain and it's not getting any better right now. Um, so yeah, that's the vision. It's a great way to conclude my friend. (laughs) Um, I will link everything in the show notes. I'll link, I'll link, um, alluvians and, your Instagram and whatever else you'd like to, to showcase there. But if there's any, anything else you want to relay before we conclude, feel free to, Mm. this is your, this is your time. And if there's nothing, there's nothing. Yeah. 
Well, first off, thank you for having me on. Great questions. Love this conversation. Yeah, me too. You dropped in. <laughs> um, the most important thing right now that any of us can do is connect with ourselves. Truly. Like we have social media that we quickly open up whenever we're feeling shit. Mm. We have drugs or alcohol or whatever we might do whenever this stuff comes up. But before we can move into becoming the unique version of ourselves, before we can attract the community we want to be attracting, before we can actually step into the greatest vision of who we actually want to be doing or what we want to be doing, the first step is self-connection. Mm. If you do that, pfft, shit unfolds. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> that was great, man. Appreciate it. Aho. Thank you, sir. Aho. <laughs> Peace.